Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Your podcast where you reach out lovingly to your partner and rip out their tongue. And then they turn and they run screaming with blood bubbling out of their mouths into the night. Man, my divorces were never that bad. (laughs) In case you didn't notice, this one's going to be a little bit more severe And, you know, people who aren't willing to talk about horror and what and things that can be part of that probably shouldn't listen. Yeah, we're going to be touching on some serious topics here that. And I guess we'll use the term mature role players would be involved with. I mean, we don't want to shock people. That's not what we do. We want to we want you to listen and be able to. Think about what we're saying and, and and try to add this to your game if that's what you're trying to do. So I guess we should get right back to the to the very root of it and just simply say, you know, what's the difference between horror, you know, and, and like say action horror? Hmm. I guess action horror would be like I'll use film examples. World War Z, the Brad Pitt movie, from which I hear there's now a sequel coming out. I guess that would be considered action horror. I think that most of the survival horror games or horror movies are actually action horror. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, in those games, uh, the characters, you know, they're, they're well, basically they're very well equipped in most cases. Okay. Or they're. Um, uh, you know they they can fight back. There's you know they're not uh, you know they they have resources. There's usually a lot of competent people. Uh, they actually um, uh, there was a movie called Feast, and it really played against that because uh, it was the classic something terrible is outside. Nobody knows what it is. You know, and so, and the uh, and this guy breaks in. And it looks just like Bruce Campbell from uh, from the uh, uh, Evil, Evil Dead. Dead, right? And he's standing there with a shotgun in his hand. You know, some cuts on his face. He says, "All right." He says, "They're cut. They're they're like they're they're only like one minute behind me. But if you listen to me and you you know and you keep your wits about you, you'll be okay." And we're all going, oh, okay. And right then, something reaches through the window behind him, grabs his head, and rips his head off. Oh, jeez. <laughs> a minute later, everyone's going, you know, of course, all the shock reactions and things like that. And then a minute later, this girl jumps in and, you know, comes to the door. She says, he says, I don't know where my, my boyfriend is, but he's out there with them, and they're still coming. And, you know, so you guys better, you know, get going and, and, and see this thing throws across the bottom their role like in the movie the first one was the hero and then he goes and says the hero's girlfriend let's hope she lives a little longer 
<laughs> right. Also, a, a lot of hor uh, not horror, you know, uh, things that seem like they're horror, but they really aren't horror, they have a lot of humor like that. A lot of, um, you know, wisecracking type humor. Now, I'll, I'll say the Evil Dead did definitely have some real horror to it. So, you know, the wisecracking, you know, was actually more in the second movie and in the third movie, of course, yeah. than it was in the first one. The first one, there wasn't much wisecracking in that movie at all. That was just, you know, ugh. Uh, and I, I would consider that to be an example of, ec of a, a truly excellent horror film. Do you see anything uh, else that would, like, make a, uh, a difference between, uh, you know, an action horror and, and a horror film? Judge, okay, with as, as we're taping here, folks, the M. Night Shyamalan movie Glass will be coming out, and the movie that came out before it, uh, Split, about the man with multiple personalities and he's stalking young women and all that, played by James McAvoy. I might consider that a horror movie. It'd be more psychological horror. Uh huh. I would consider that horror where there's not a lot of violence, you're not, not a lot of fighting, but that tension is definitely there and that movie it did it scared the holy bejesus out of me when i watched it <laughs> so yeah i would say action horror tends to have the competent individuals like you said the decent equipment resident evil that would be an excellent action horror movie example the resident evil series doom the video game and the movie because i mean especially in the, in the most recent video game you are a super soldier you know, you're totally, you know, you, you, you can literally grab a demon and, and, and crush its head with your hand and rip it to pieces. Okay, that's not what most people think about when they think about horror. Now, okay, it's gory, which is not the same thing as horror. <laughs> you know, uh, gory just means there's lots of body parts and blood and stuff. Okay, and yeah. in a lot of cases, that's not horrible at all. Uh you know, and, and sometimes they play with that where it looks like blood, but it's actually chocolate. You know, it's actually uh, cherry syrup. Yeah, they've done that in a couple of movies. So there's de definitely a difference between what I'm trying to talk about, which is horror, which is what I I was I I don't use the word true horror because you're basically referring to yourself. Horror that has uh that scares you. Horror that that basically fills you with dread, horror that you know makes you, in some ways, you know when it's over, you know, and you see this and you see the sunlight, there's a sense of relief. <laughs> okay, that, yeah, that's that to me is horror. Okay, uh, it, an action an action horror. Sometimes you get that feeling, but it's only because you've been on this uh, adrenaline rush for so long. You need a break. Okay, it's it's there's usually uh, though they might pull some tricks on you and kill people off that you weren't expecting them to. Ultimately, at, at the end, you have a feeling that 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 they should have won, even if they don't. A pyrrhic victory, yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I hated at the end of like a lot of the, uh, all the Freddy films where after they won. Then all of a sudden something would happen and it's like, Freddy's not dead, you know, and we're like going, damn you, you know, why don't you give me one, you know, why couldn't you have waited until like the tease or the beginning of the next film? 
you know, and showed me where Freddy's not dead. Okay, why do you have to do this at the end? You just ruined, you know. Well, that's to ensure that there's going to be a sequel to the fans. That's yeah, why. But, but they all knew. It, you know, at the end of every movie, they used to be at the end of every movie. They said, "So and so will be back in this," and you're like, yeah. oh, "Okay." But I mean, you don't have to ruin, you know, what success there has been. Basically, right. make it all yeah. seem like it was pointless. You know, that's yeah. you know that. Okay, I see the point. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I don't like that. Now, some people might say, "Oh, well, that's the essence of horror, where you know, no matter what you do, it's futile." Well, okay, that's what you. If that's where your horror is, then okay, then that's then they did a good job in that case. I've got a list of games here that. Uh, I'm. Uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through and just basically say what you know what we think they are and how they were good at doing horror, and then at the end of that we're gonna go and basically talk about in more general terms what you know what I personally it's, it's my list so it's what I personally think makes up good horror, uh, and and hopefully you you'll add to it. Alrighty, first on my list, Call Cthulhu. Uh, oh yeah. It's, for a lot of people, this game was very effective because it took place in the 20s. A lot of the things that happened in that game seemed kind of hard to believe, like groups of cultists, you know, wandering around and, and dark, lonely places in the world. In modern day, there aren't too many of those. Right. So going back to the 1920s, though, it was easy to imagine that there were lots of places like that. I mean, Antarctica had, had barely been explored. Well, yeah, that was the thing in the 20s. We were still exploring much of our world where we could, it was feasible to say, oh, this place. Well, not many people have been there. So the suspension of disbelief that something like that could be there was there. Today, we know. And something had been going on in secret there, possibly for hundreds of years and nobody seeing it, because it was remote. Yes. Now it's like every square map of every square inch of our planet has been mapped. Kind of hard to do that. Then you have to bring in a lot more sci-fi elements to say, well, in the Peruvian jungles, it's like, well, maybe it's jungle, you know. It's not only mapped, there's a Google, you know, 360 degree picture of it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so but anyways um uh it brought in you know it brought in the idea that there were other dimensions that people were that there were people who were willing to literally uh, accept the destruction of our world just so they'd be eaten last yeah i mean th yeah. Th that i mean we'd heard some people had heard about people that were called uh uh quizlings and such people that were willing yes. to work with the enemy, you know, to the detriment of their own side. But it was only there was only a very few cases of it, and most people saw it as like remote pieces of military history. But this was something very visceral because you had these were like normal people in most cases. They were usually, you know, uh, respected professors and industrialists, people that were the captains of industry and people respected them, you know, that, that they, they had tenure and all kinds of things. And then to find out... They would have the thing where because they were so respected in their fields, it would be the last person you would think was trying to engineer the downfall of life as we know it. Right. 
Right. And, and of course, what they were dealing with, who would believe such a thing anyways? You know, giant, you know, 300 foot tall monsters from another dimension, you know, poppycock, you know, that's yeah. myth and stories, you know, gross exaggerations to prove a moral point. Sure. You know, so it, it, I, it was very, very effective uh, amongst the players. And the uh, uh, I don't I, I can't really say that I think the game system added much to it. I, uh, I think it actually worked against the, the, the thing, but it was a game system. It allowed the people to play the adventures. And uh, so it, it is it is what it is. But um, I never really liked the, the, the game system in it because it was very, uh, uh, well, it's 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 very, d not D&D-ish because it was a stat plus skill kind of thing, but more, more along your Palladian, actually. Ah, yes. Yeah, so, which was an early game. Uh, then we came out with all the World of Darkness stuff. And of that... Um, I didn't really think that Vampire the Masquerade was very good at instilling horror because it was all about social power playing. Yes. Horror was a, it was a means to an end. It was the, the trappings in which you did the social power play. And, and like I, I mentioned to Bruce before we started taping, many of my gamers have LARPed at one time or another. Goth Bunny, Perky Goth, and her husband Oz... And I'm currently co-running with Perky Goth a Doctor Who and World of Darkness mashup, which the timelines surprisingly coincide well. And so horror is a part of a component of that game. And but it's still, yeah, it's social, uh, you know, the Machiavellian intertwinings and machinations of all these different clans. In the vampire, in the werewolf, mage, not so much in the other games like Changeling, Hunter, Demon, uh, Wraith, but those three main core games, it's definitely um, social one-upmanship, trying to see who can outsmart and outpower play the other. Horror is secondary in that. That's merely... The mask it has would be, I describe it that way. And I've described it to other people that way. Okay, so which of the World of Darkness games do you think was most effective as a horror game? As far as a horror game. Well, as I said, I, I never LARPed and I tried looking at the storyteller mechanic and... Uh, you didn't um, uh, actually play the games then. Yeah, I never have LARPed. I, I just... But let's see. It's, I mean, I know enough of them. Of course, we did the episode adding World of Darkness Bureau 13 a few years back. Uh, let's see. I would have to say, as far as horror, uh -huh. it would have to be a tie between Vampire and Werewolf. Because Mage... Horror, I'm not getting... I, I never got that... With all the stuff I've read about Mage, The Awakening... Yeah. As far as horror, it would be vampire and the werewolf game, just because you're dealing with monsters as opposed to mages are just awakened humans uh -huh. with this new ability to reshape reality while trying to fight the will of 7 billion people. Right, right. So, so yeah, it would have to be a tie between those two. Okay, I always thought that 
I'm, and again, I'm, I'm not that familiar with all the different ones, uh, but I always got the feeling uh, that as the major releases that Werewolf was the best. Now, it's a little bit of a problem because werewolves tend to be really powerful, okay? And that's t that tends to work against horror. But you had all this... They, you know, they're they're trying to uh, they're up against the worm and corruption and all these things like that. You know, and they see uh, vampires themselves as corruption, uh, so they're fighting against basically a losing battle uh, because the world is you know has got all these people in it and there's not that many werewolves. Yeah, from what I from what I always saw it was, and I'm trying to remember the ratio that one werewolf could just decimate a vampire or vice versa it was almost like they made the game to be a a one-up mention it was like an arms race it definitely was yeah and and like palladium with all the riffs books and just i saw that and i just saw the inequity in that as perky goth and i discussed this greatly because she's wanted to do something with world of darkness and, and she's the one with all the books i'm reading through them for research and going on the official uh white wolf wiki and having to read up about all the various sects and cults and clans and, mm -hmm. and it just, yeah, I, the werewolves. Yeah. They, they have definitely some unconventional werewolf powers because some of them are like, you know, you hear a werewolf. Okay. You have your animal senses, the claws, you transform, you know, you lose your humanity as you're doing it. And I'm reading this and they're going to other dimensions. And I'm like, Okay, now the vampires I usually read about them, they had mostly the straightforward vampire abilities. Uh-huh. Changing to mist, changing to a bat, control wolves and, and bats. Super speed. Maybe rats. Um, gaseous form, you know, enthralling, creating new spawn. You know, you stick them in, a, in the heart with a stake and they go into Torbor and so yeah, it just the van the werewolves were definitely just out there. I'm looking at the powers and just go, no, that's not what werewolves do. Yeah, I think the werewolves were definitely made to try to one up where you couldn't play the games together. And I heard a lot of people complain about trying to do them together. It was just a massacre every time. It was one sided. Horror, but it wasn't its main component. That was merely the backdrop. Well, what about hunters? Because they're facing up all these critters in the world of darkness. Oh no, that would be action horror straight up. Just because you know they—they're the what they call the awakened humans. They're the ones that are that know that there is this whole secret underground supernatural, you know, multifaceted war going on. And so they're the ones they feel we're the ones that have to protect the rest of the unawakened unenlightened humans who are just going about their miserable, pathetic lives, you know. <laughs> miserable, pathetic lives. That sounds bad. Well, it, it, it just, yeah, and of course, you know, Hunter the Reckoning, the only thing I can think of when I think of that is supernatural. And so that kind of gave me a little insight. Okay, I heard of that game. I read up on it a little bit in the wiki, and then Gotham told, "Oh, it's it's like Supernatural." I was like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, 
unlike Bureau 13, where you had all these resources, they didn't have that much. Yeah, they had to buy, you know, ammo and stuff from the local sporting goods store and, you know, getting rid of a, a, a vampire you stake through the heart. You just, you know, poured a gallon can of gasoline on him, beheaded him and lit it, you know. Just, you had to do very bare bones. And you were often dragged into this hunting um, occupation slash lifestyle often because you saw the wrong thing at the wrong time. Unlike Supernatural, where it's, you know, the two sons taking up the mantle of the, the father's occupation. Right. Maybe the hunters, but you think it's more of an action horror rather than a real horror? Because they are hunters, there's going to be, you know, some stuff, but... Yeah, they're, they're taking a very proactive role in this by the very nature of their occupation. So I would consider hunt, Hunter the Reckoning action horror. Okay, so did you, uh, are you familiar at all with Cult? No, that I'm looking on that and I'm like, mm, what? okay, no, no, enlighten me. Well, Cult had a lot, first of all, they got a lot of problems. They got banned from, uh, from uh, Gen Con because they had so much um, uh, disturbing imagery in their book. It was not considered family friendly. Okay. So you basically had a whole lot of people that were summoning demons and making packs with devils and uh, engaging in uh, a lot of behavior that would be considered taboo uh, as a as a role playing game. And uh, I never played it myself uh, because I never had the opportunity. Uh, but uh, I always wondered, you know, what it what it would have been like. Uh, but I could see the potential there for being really horrific. And then we have uh, C.J. Carrera's Witchcraft, which is, of course, about covens and such. Yeah, see, I, I, I've never heard of the game. I know of C.J. Carrera because of Nightbane from Palladium. That was his big contribution to that. And I knew he had done the—I know he, he since left Palladium. He's gone. But yeah, witchcraft. Okay, covens. All right, that could be straight up horror because of the things that that witches, quote unquote, and we are not dissing on any of our pagan listeners and all what they are known to be able to do. Yeah, this is witches that are the you know I I think these are witches that are the uh, stereotypical witches, the ones that get burnt because they're such they're making packs with the devil. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. You know, I mean, that's, the, uh, you know, and now, of course, they may claim to be wicked and they may claim to be servants of various gods in the pagan pantheon. I don't know. Uh, but these are all books, by the way, that uh, are games that are highly regarded as being excellent role-playing games that are horror-based, according to the people that presented them from the lists I pulled them from. So, you know. Now, Little Fears, I think, has the big has the biggest potential at all because Little Fears is about children who are trapped in a horrific universe. I'm kind of reminded of the Horizon. Okay, um, Fantasy Flight Games years ago put out these like mini games, uh-huh. and one of them was Grim, where you were you took the roles of. Oh, you're the jock, you're the nerd, you're the princess. You know, it was almost like the breakfast club. Right. And you were in this dark, 
horrific fairy tale universe. That's what I'm getting from Little Fears. That I think that's pretty close, to, you know, to what it was. I mean, that's certainly one way you could go by having all the things that were up against these fairy tales. But it also could be other things, like as you said, you know, you got the nerdy kid and he's up against the monster that's wearing the football jersey. Yeah, you know, because maybe somebody in his life is is uh, you know in his real life, you know, or his past. Uh, was a, an abuser like that, you know, was a bully. So uh, and the, the real challenge in that game is to play the innocence of the uh, lack of experience of a child and, uh, and, and try to, to bring forth those situations. For all of its, its questionable content in the sense of its children being thrown against, up against horrific things, it is uh, intentionally non-sexual. So you don't have to worry about any of that kind of, you know, weird stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, it's it's really more like night terrors, fears, you know, um, you know, the classic things, you know. Of, of, so a lot of dreamscape type stuff. Sure. A lot of dream theater-esque where it's the kids' dreams, basically, they're either in the dream and fighting it or the dreams have become alive. Right. Okay. The monster, the, you know, the monsters that are chasing them with big sharp teeth all have mommy's face, or they all speak yeah. in mommy's voice. Ah, you know, okay. stuff like that. I mean, just you know, really, oh, hor okay. really horrible things if you think about it. <laughs> um, that, it I, that it that GMs could have a lot of fun with. Yes. Right. Yeah. Now I don't know anything about sorcerer. Do you know anything about sorcerer? Nope. Never heard of that one either. Okay. Well, somebody had because they 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 really thought that would be a good choice. It focuses on sorcerers who summon, bind, and interact with demons, powerful non-human entities who work with and against the sorcerer. So it seems an awful lot like the um, um, the witchcraft one, except more toward the demon summoning. Okay. Uh, it's got some conflict resolutions. Uh, it uses dice pools. Uh, Players make conscious decisions to commit their characters toward actions to support or negate humanity, which is a, a value, uh, usually by acquiring or utilizing, uh, often risking it in the process of acquiring or utilizing the power of demons. So, you know, in, in other words, the more help you get from demons, you know, the less, the more you're threatening your own humanity. Ah, okay. So, okay. Well, you know, all these games, as you know, uh, in the hands of a good GM, you know, will almost always succeed. So, you know, and that's uh, so we're not really talking. You know, I mean, we're, we're assuming that these games are competently played, and they're they're played by care people who really want to play the game. So, you know, that's one reason why horror games can work though it's one of the reasons that horror games are not as popular because they they're not something that you you know well we'll talk about that about how they're not just pickup games uh the last thing i had on the list i added and that was bureau 13 oh yeah because uh but i don't really i've never really thought of bureau 13 as a horror game uh because it's just got too much graveyard humor in it yeah, it would be more urban fantasy. I mean, you could play Bureau 13 as a straight-up horror game, but you would lose the flavor that Rich inherently put in it of a lot of tongue-in-cheek jokes. It might be considered action horror because they are very well-equipped. 
uh, you know, a lot, a lot. I mean, there are some really good examples in the lost files where they they basically have agent transcripts of agent conversations. You know, uh, during investigations where they lose all the agents. You know that. You know those things are. Uh, are, are in some ways chilling to read, you know. But I'm just saying. But when you get into the actual situation uh, where you're playing it, most often, you know, the the way the role playing games go, where you have to make the dice rolls, you know, how much, what do I have to roll to hit this, stuff like that. It really breaks the 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 tension that you're trying to generate. So, uh, and that's one of the things that I did like the best about uh, Vampire. Uh, or I should say the uh, World of Darkness games, is that their system is extre is extremely simple. They literally have like, you know, they have a couple of dots that represent your powers. And yes. it's, it's like the number of dice you get to roll. And the, you yeah. get X number of successes, then you're, re you know, you're really good. If you get like almost none or none, then of course you fail utterly. So, they, they, you know, and, it, and that led itself very well, you know, toward the... Uh, Toward the LARPing, even though when they LARP, they uh, they they reduced it even more to uh, uh, rock paper scissors. Yeah, well, with, with I've noticed this with horror games, and I've discussed this with you know I, I like oh they asked me what are you doing in the pocket, and so we brought up horror, and I said you have to have light crunch for your game, and for the terminology, it crunches your rules, your mechanics as opposed to fluff, which would be things like stories, you know, fiction set within the book that describe what you're about to get into. In order to sustain that mood of horror, the tension, the where even the players are starting to look over their shoulders, you need to have a rules-light system. It helps tremendously. Because if, I, if I'm run, trying to run a horror game and all of a sudden I got to, you know, adjudicate a rule... That's going to break the mood right there. It's going to, you know, kill the mood for that particular moment. Then you got to spend time building it back up. Which for horror, that mood is essential. Right. Okay. So speaking of mood uh, and that, let's talk about Dread. Have you ever played Dread? I think I may have heard of it. Okay. Dread uh, is a game that uses a Jenga tower. And really? Really? Yes, okay. and the idea is is that every time you do something that's not easy to do, you have to pull something out of the Jenga tower. Oh. Which means that as time goes on, you're going to have to get more and more careful or you're just going to have to risk the fact that if the Jenga tower goes crashing down, your character is going to suffer a significant loss. Yeah, I, I like that. Because in a lot of horror games, you're dealing with decree, your chances are continually decreasing to make it out alive. And so, yeah, that, that's a fantastic idea. I never, that, that hits it right on the head. Now, of course, I, you know, I, I being atypical in all cases, <laughs> you know, I'm there. First time I try to pull the Jenga tower, crash, down it goes. Uh, oh. 
So, you know, and he's like, well, you're dead. And I'm like, well, okay. So I got like another two hours of this game session. I guess I, should I just leave? And he says, well, you can sit around and listen to the rest of the players. And I was like, uh, and I did. And they were very funny. These guys were, I was playing with were actually very funny uh, players. But um, that's the, that is the problem with, with Jenga is that if you play it where, you know, it's a catastrophe that you can't recover from, then it's going to fail for you as a player because, you know, you, you, you're basically done as soon as that happens. Either you've joined the other side or, you know, you're done. And uh, instead, it needs, you know, you need to basically suffer a, a major loss, which is probably a, something you want to decide. Okay, you know, what major loss have you just suffered from because in order for you to continue playing the game. So it could be something like, um, I just got, um, uh, I just got my leg broken. Uh, I just got gut shot and I'm alive, but I'm bleeding out. And if I don't get help, I'm going to bleed to death. Yeah. I may end up dying from blood loss anyways, even if we succeed. So it's, but, but you, that way you can still be in the game. You can still play or my, you know, uh, we, you know, we were going to go there and, and my car is now destroyed. And now we have to either figure out a way of stealing a car or we have to do it on foot, you know, which means that it's going to be a lot more, a lot longer to get there, a lot more chances of being discovered, and 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 and, and attack more opportunities for loss. So, it's you know the, the I think it's a, a good mechanic, but it it can't be the uh, do or die mechanic that I've seen uh, done in a lot of uh, games at like Gen Con where I played it. But you definitely get that ratcheting of tension as more and more pieces come off the Jenga tower. Oh yes, yes, I have played that game. Yes, it, it's after a while you really have to get crafty to go. You know, you're you're walking around the entire table, and I was at uh, Cleveland Concoction, and it was actually for Habibi's wedding. The con was there, and they had a Jenga tower made with pieces of two by fours. Uh huh. So that was really you're trying to you know get this you know relatively decent size of wood out of there. And when that came down, it was loud. <laughs> yeah, I bet it it stopped the gaming tables. Everybody turned around because it was a bunch of kids doing it all the time. Because oh, cool Jenga clatter, and we're all like trying to make sure the kids don't get buried under it. Yeah, right. Exactly. I even had to dodge when that thing came down when I tried it. You know, so no, it it, it I I see the the I guess the the allegory symbolism of it of using a Jenga tower sure. as a yeah, yeah, it, it, that's it, actually quite ingenious. Whoever made Dread, you know, that's off to you. Now, is there is there another uh, role playing game that you think really um, has a lot of horror in it that uh, that you want to mention? Let's see here. Yeah, I would use. Uh, I, I mentioned it before, and it's another one made by CJ. Well. Both are made by Palladium, but one of them was made by C.J. Corella during his time there. Beyond the Supernatural and Nightbane. Now, Beyond the Supernatural, it is, again, normal people going up against the supernatural and the monstrous. Instead of a government agency, it's a private society known as the Lazlo Society. Now, Nightbane, it is 
extra-dimensional beings known as the Night Lords, in one 24-hour period, they cut off all sunlight and replace most of police, government, uh, corporate. And during this 24 hours of darkness, known as Dark Day, about one in 50,000 people all of a sudden erupt with subconsciously themed monstrous abilities that they can only use in this monstrous form. And because it came out at night and they are the Bane of the Night Lords, they've been dubbed Nightbane. That is a horror game, definitely, because the only time that you can be a hero on the run, you're on the run because the government has shaped it where, oh, look, yes, this person, you know, was they'll, they'll like frame you for a murder. So you're on the run. It's the Incredible Hulk type thing where you're going from town to town each week. Oh, OK. And so the only time that you can defend yourself is when you go from your facade form, which is the human form you've known until Dark Day, into your Morphous, which, as I said, let's say, and I don't condone this, let's say you were a cutter. Your Morphous would be that of constantly bleeding open wounds on your arms and legs, yet you're not losing blood, it's there for style, but because that is so subconsciously ingrained, that is what your Morphous is about. But let's say you also like butterflies. So yeah, you have all these open bleeding wounds on your arms and legs, but you also have functional butterfly wings on the back. So yeah, you look disgusting, but you can fly. So these these beings, these Nightbane, are having to deal with, and whenever they're in their morphous form, they shine like a beacon. The forces, the Night Lord's forces contract them easier. So in order for them to stay hidden, they have to stay in the human form. But in order for them to fight, they have to go into this form, which they're basically jumping up and down. Yes, I'm a Nightbane. And so the horror is there because they're also shunned by the humans they're trying to protect and save from the Night Lords having taken over pretty much all of the Earth in various facets, military, corporate, government. So, yeah, I would consider those two horror games, although Nightbane, again, might be considered also urban fantasy. Well, the other one could, too. But, yeah, those were definitely entries into the horror genre by Palladium Books. And I've played both of them extensively, and I, I ran a Nightbane variant campaign until about a year ago, and it worked great because they had werewolves and vampires and otherworldly beings and... Um, magic users that, you know, cited for and against the Nightbane. So, yeah, it had all the classic components of what we would consider a horror game that was mentioned in these other examples. Cultists based on the Night Lord. So you had, you know, the stuff from Call of Cthulhu and Cult. And it just... Yeah, and, and Corella really did a good job with Nightbane. Others have continued the line for him, but what he started... I mean, the art was very evocative. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing that screamed to me. It's like, no, this is a horror game. Because you dealt with things like sanity and horror factor and and the fact that, you know, many of these people who are now forced to be heroes were anything but. Some of them were just normal people. Others were quite bad people who realized that there were a lot worse people now chasing after them. 
So, yeah, those are two I definitely would have put on the rule. I'm glad that you put in Witchcraft that C.J. Carella also did because it reminded me of those two other games. Uh, let's see. Anything else considered horror? Trying, I'm going through the mental catalog of D20 stuff I know. <laughs> well, I wouldn't consider Dungeons & Dragons to be horror. Well, no, 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 no. There was a game, and it was more along the lines of like the Da Vinci Code type stuff, but it was called, it was by uh, RPG Objects called Blood and Relics. And you were dealing with things like demon summoning and cultists and... And it was all the battle of, you know, trying to save religious artifacts and all that. But you were dealing with profane rituals and dark tomes and, you know, people who seem to be normal. And all of a sudden you find out they're a cult, uh, you know, a devil, you know. So, yeah, I, w I would consider that another horror game, Blood Relics. Well, I mean, you can inject horror into any type of... Uh, genre, technically. I mean, you could do Western, superhero, far future, post-apocalyptic. You could infuse horror into any of those games if you just, you know, tweak a plot. But we're talking specifically about horror-themed. That is their main focus. You can put horror into any type of role-playing game if you just tweak the plot right. As I said, if you're a four-color superhero and all of a sudden you get some dark demon lord coming in, you know, sacrificing children, you have a horror game going, even though they are your typical four-color superheroes like the Avengers of the Justice League. Although that might do good more in like a, uh, what do they call it, a street-level campaign. Things like Batman the Animated Series, and yeah, you could really, you know, when they made Man-Bat, Back in the 70s, Dr. Kurt Lancaster, that could be considered horror. So, Okay, so what uh, is required to make good horror? Okay, I listed out a, a, like eight points. Have you had a chance to check it out? Uh, I looked over some of them, looking over the rest now. Okay. Oh, yes, these are all very valid. Oh, yes. All right, so the first thing is, is that you have to have player buy-in for these, these kinds of things. I mean, the players have to know that they're going to play a horror game and they have to want to play a horror game because if they don't, then they're going to undermine the experience and everyone's going to be unhappy about it. It's going to end up being slapstick. It's going to end up being, you know, something that is, it's going to end up being scream. Yeah. <laughs> You know, where they're, they're actually sitting around and saying things like, you know, in order, this is what you must do to survive a horror film. And they actually spend like, you know, 10 minutes going through the different things so that they can then later on in the movie go and, 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 and show them to you. It's like Chekhov's gun, except, you know, they have all the rules. Or, you know, in, in um, uh, Zombie World, you know, well, you know the, his rules, you know, always double tap. You know, yeah. <laughs> all those things. So that because later on, you know, when you don't double tap, then of course things, you know, or everyone's sitting around going, "You didn't double tap," you because <laughs> they added it in there. So that's that's a that's a dramatic technique. But I'm just saying, is that uh, 
And, and sometimes that works where you basically, you know, say, you know, you, you say up front that this is this is the things that has to happen. And then you turn around and break the rules. You know, the players or the uh, or the NPCs break the rules. And it's up to the players to realize that the rules have been broken and then act on them. So but OK, so you have to have a lot of player. Uh, buy it. They have to uh, be willing to maintain the tone. They have to be willing to, uh, you know, learn the characters, invest in the characters, you know, try to understand the characters so that when things happen to them, they can respond in a way that makes the other people believe that it's just happened. Okay. And then, of course, they have to be willing to suffer loss because ultimately in all horror games, you have to have loss. If you don't have loss, it's not a horror game. It's just it's part of it. You have to do that. Okay, so uh, if you're making a, a horror adventure, if you're making a horror game, what's the first thing you do? Establish the normal. What is the regular routine for the characters involved? What is their day-to-day? What is How is their world? Yeah. What's What's the... You know, uh, what's the thing that, where's their, you know, where's their comfort? You know, where's their safety? Where is their, um, you know, the things that they do well? I mean, every, you know, the, you know, what's, before you go and, and, and change things, they have to really understand what it is that the world is supposed to be like. So if they're, uh, you know, it, it, if they're, on a space station, they have to know what the space station looks like. They should have some understanding about the way things run on the space station. You can use a lot of audio cues here and, and pictures and say, this is you. You know, you're wearing your nice, clean, white uniform. That's always a good thing, by the way, in horror games. It's just give them a nice, clean, white outfit to start with, yeah. you know. So... Uh, because it won't be for long. Because yeah. and t-shirts, by the way, are excellent for that. I mean, well, not so much these days because nobody wears a white t-shirt anymore. But there was a time when everybody wore white t-shirts under their shirts, and you knew oh, yeah. wasn't going to be. And, and you, you know, you knew that that t-shirt was going to was going to be a map of 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 suffering and misery by the end <laughs> of the session or 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 the end of the game, the end of the adventure. Uh, so yeah, you have to stand, you have to also establish what are the relationships between people. You know, are are they boyfriend girlfriend? Are they happy with their relationship? Do they have engage in any kind of lovey dovey behavior? How committed are they? You know, same thing. Do you like your job? You know, what's your you know what's your relationship with? And so any little thing that you can do that you know uh, you know do you play video games? What video games do you like? So that they get can get as centered and 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 invested in the, the normal, okay. Before we make the break, I, I think it's to establish to the viewers if it's a movie or the players that it's a role playing game that yes, beating you over the head that this is normal, this is everyday America or whatever country you're in, and you, you're kind of hitting them with the clue by four to reinforce what is about to be shattered completely. <laughs> right. So how, how do we do it? How do we do establish that? Okay. I suggest, you know, as we talked about before, you put the beach episode in the beginning. 
That way they're out, they're having a good time, they're playing around, they get to show off. You know, they, if, if there's a womanizer, the womanizer gets to go and try to make some plays. You know, if you're the, the nerdy person, all they want to do is sit and read, well, then they get a chance to do that. You know, you have a nice, safe, relaxing place, you know, to uh, engage, you know, engage in normal, you know, normal stuff so that, and you may have to, you know, if I was running a horror game, the very first session, that's all we would do. We literally would do nothing but role-playing and do something of minor importance. Now, maybe, you know, the whole reason was you were traveling here to pick up this car that's going, you know, that's going to be important in the rest of the adventure. But, you know, that's, that's the MacGuffin that you came here for. But the rest of it is just about your character setting up the dynamics between each other and hopefully getting to a point where you care whether that other person, you know, is, is in bad trouble because they're going to be in bad trouble and you need to be, you, uh, you need to be able to uh, empathize with them, emote, and, uh, and perhaps even make some sacrifices on their behalf. And they are with you. So that's, that's, to me, the very first thing that, uh, that you need to do. Uh, and anything you can do, I mean, that's, that's where handing out little trinkets to people about their characters so they have something to do with their hands. You know, a deck of cards to the gambler, uh, a makeup compact to the person who's pretty, uh, you know, a, a Game Boy to the person who's the video gamer. Yes, please, and all and, and listeners, please refer to our previous episode about props with Andre Krupa on this one. This will help tremendously. Right. And uh, so I'm just saying is that I know that in a lot of in, in, in games where I get my hands on some kind of a prop, it really helps me center my character, you know, uh, and, 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 and play it more effectively. So, you know, it's, it's a really good idea to do that because, you know, most people, they think of their character sheet as that. And I'm yeah. not, the problem is, is that you sit down looking at your character sheet without actually thinking about what the other people are saying and doing. While well, something you're, you're, you're wrapped up in the stats, and again, it, it's what I mentioned earlier about trying to get the rules as much out of the picture as possible to sustain the mood of horror. Right. So a big, huge stat block sitting in front of your face is not going to do that. Yeah, that anything but. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that trinket idea. I like that the the. Uh, let's say if you're playing a soccer mom, you're gonna have I don't know. Not being a soccer mom, I'm not sure what a what a good trinket it would be. You know, maybe or if you're like a new mom, maybe a baby bottle. Well, if I was a soccer mom, it would be one of those scrunchies you put your hair in. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And if you weren't, and if you're not a soccer mom, you know, if you're a guy, then, then they need to give you a wig <laughs> with oh. a scrunchie in it. Okay. Oh. Or, or maybe, or maybe, um, uh, one of those pairs of, uh, little booty socks with the little, you know, the little, uh, um, fluff tail ball on the back yeah, end of it. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, without, you know, without crossing boundaries on people's, you know, gender issues, you know, right. There, there was a time when it's like I'm not going to play a girl, you know, in RPGs. I think I think we've all gotten past that, though. I don't know. I, I've, I've been playing so long; it doesn't matter to me anymore. But I'm sure new players probably have a lot of trouble, you know, getting past their own gender identities. Tend to always play males or females or whatever. Uh, I've, I'm seeing that's 
I'm I'm seeing that disappearing, and I've probably been gaming just ten years less than you have. But I'm seeing a lot of that's and, a long know, time. <laughs> yeah, I've I've done my share at Gen Con and Con on the Cob and whatnot, and most I've never had anybody. If I hand them a female character, they outright just no, no, they're no. Okay, yeah, I'll sure. They've been very open to try to play to the best of their ability and what they know a character of a different gender. So I, I think that is starting to go by the wayside, that particular trait of not wanting, if you're a guy to play a female character, vice versa. It just, I'm, I'm seeing that disappear. And I think that's because we gamers generally are pretty tolerant of different things. As long as they, you know, they're embracing their characters. Too often, I've seen guys play female characters because they want to be able to engage in the sexual power of it. Yeah, yeah. Do this for me because I won't be your girlfriend if you don't. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're like, I have all this power. People do stuff for me for no reason just because I got these things on the front of me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is news to you? <laughs> you know. And then the other girls at the table are rolling their eyes. <laughs> yep, exactly. They're like, yeah, it's all—it's not all wine and roses, there, friend. Yeah, yeah. They're they're playing, trying to play a real girl, and and you're playing a slut, you know, because or or a, you know, a stereotype, you know. And yeah. They they get really irritated when that happens, and so you don't want people to play characters. Definitely, again, as far as establishing the normal, you don't want to play characters that are too far out there. That can come later. But initially, they should be normal. Yes. Yeah, normal people. You're a normal person. You know, any any weird quirks you have are very well hidden until later. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So then, uh, the second step is create uncertainty about the near future, and this is where you get to start telling about you know there's uh, there's been lights in the in the sky. You know, or no one's heard anything from New York in over like 12 hours. Everybody, you know, everyone's talking on the radio. What happened in New York? You know, or even just, oh, you know, so and so was missing. They've been missing since last night. Yeah, things. Right. Like, and yeah. so you start getting this sense of uncertainty. Something's going on, and you don't know what's going on. And that adds a lot of tension, which, of course, when the players finally you resolve that for them, they get this great sense of relief because it's finally like, now, finally, I know what's going on and I can deal with it because now I know what's happening. And that's, you know, of course, when you have to ratchet it up, you know. But uh, to me, the scariest part of Doom 3, the video game, was at the very beginning... First of all, you, you're you know you're this guy who's a newly um, uh, 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 not newly minted but newly transferred uh, uh, marine, space marine, and uh, you're walking around, you're doing stuff. You know, as a player, that you know the bad things are going to happen, and so you're hearing stuff by people talking about strange artifacts they found underneath and 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 no one's heard anything from sector 5 and there's been some power fluctuations and you know this stuff's coming the whole time this is happening i'm looking around saying where are the weapons 
I'm in a military installation. There's guys everywhere around me with machine guns and such, but I don't have a weapon. I can't get my hands on a weapon. If something happens, I'm unarmed. Yeah. You know, and... And as a matter of fact, is it all the way to the very last moment where the, the big reveal where all the monsters start coming loose? They don't give you a weapon. Only at the very last second do you get your hands on a gun and turn around and blow away somebody who's been like the nicest guy in the world to you up to like five seconds ago. Hmm. So to me, that was really, really good. You know, and, and, and then, of course, I'm, 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 I'm happy about, because now uh, I, I've got a gun and I've got some sense of control, even though I know that it's only a pistol and I'm sure there's things worse. And, but I, you know, I'm, I'm just saying there was that huge sense of relief when I got my hands on a gun, you know, knowing that at least I had a chance now of defending myself. You know, yeah. f- fighting one of these, these monsters hand-to-hand didn't think that was in the cards, you know, no. even, even though in a role playing game, you could do, you know, you could get away with that. So that was, uh, that was really important. Uh, and, uh, and, and like I say, there's lots, that's, that's where, you know, sound effects can come in sirens in the, in the background, um, you know, that you should just keep peppering information to the players as they're trying to figure out what's going on, especially if you have a game where you do have, you know, um, you know, a skill based as such. They're they're trying to find out information from the newspaper or the, I should probably the internet somehow. Uh, They start getting strange messages. You start seeing things that aren't right. Like, you know, you think there's a face at the window or, uh, Somebody, you know, you look out the window and somebody's broken your front windshield. Or there's a bang on the door, a really loud banging, banging on the door, and you run over to it and there's nobody there. And you don't know what. Or you see a trail of blood on the floor. But it but it it leads out to the stairwell and you don't see anybody. I mean, you know, you have to these are the kind of things that you want to do to ratchet the tension up so that when you actually do let them know what's going on, then they'll get that sense of relief, which puts them off their guard because they think, oh, okay, I think I understand what's going on. And that's when you do more. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.